Irish Nation, welcome to another week, another win. The Irish win comfortably against Navy. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't always been able to say that since I've been a fan, but this one uh, was pretty easy. So, again, another W. The path to 11 wins is intact, and there's maybe a sliver of hope for the playoff. I don't know, Brett. What do you think? Yeah, so 538, we covered their playoff predictions last week, and the odds for Notre Dame, if they win out, still in the low 30s. So if Notre Dame wins out, they got a 30 to 35% chance to get there. And as a reminder, there's four key steps. Uh, UGA needs to win out. That's still on track. Oregon needs to lose. That still needs to happen. Cincy needs to lose. That still needs to happen despite a late scare where it almost looked like they were going to fumble it away to Tulsa, but but held strong in a goal line stand. And then the fourth step, Wake Forest needs to lose, and that did happen. Check that box. They lose in a shootout to uh, North Carolina. More chaos in the Big Ten and Big 12. That helps. Sparty losing really helps Notre Dame. Uh, makes it much more likely that Michigan, Sparty, and Ohio State might all wind up with two losses and, and open up another spot. But Right now, after our recap last week, the odds are still roughly the same for Notre Dame, uh, about a 30 to 35% chance, and that's assuming we get through the rest of November unscathed. Yep. We, we definitely got some chaos this weekend. We certainly need a lot more going forward. I think one team that we need to root hard for going forward is, is uh, the Wisconsin, well, I guess two teams, the Wisconsin Badgers and Purdue. If either, uh, either of those teams can, you know, go on a run at the end, it makes us look a lot better, and then it creates the chaos in the Big Ten that we need. Um, so with that talk on, uh, on the playoff, I'm going to shift to a quick update on recruiting. So, uh, if you didn't see it, we had a massive recruiting win, uh, this pack, uh, the past week. Drake Bowen, he's a five-star linebacker from in-state Indiana. Um, he, he went ahead and committed to Notre Dame. Not totally unexpected. Most of the crystal balls had him, had him coming, but make no mistake, this is a massive, massive win. Um, this is now our second five-star recruit in the 2023 class. I honestly can't remember any time where we've been recruiting at this level. And there are more five-stars potentially in the pipeline we could be getting soon. Another key fact with Drake is that he uh, he's also a really good baseball player. Um, I, I don't think he has his recruiting pedigree on the baseball side is quite as high as it is on football. But uh, it, this is also a, a big win for, for Notre Dame's baseball program. Another quick shout-out before we dive into the show. Um Forgot to do this last week, but to all of our North Carolina fans that listen to the show each week, Gyrish Talk wife Ann is from North Carolina. A lot of her family and friends, and, and really my family and friends, uh, went to North Carolina. So shout out to Mally, Erica, um, our cousin Elizabeth, our Aunt Margaret, Bryson. Um, we kept the trash talk to a minimum, but it's always nice to have some friendly banter. Uh, really stayed civil. It's it's a really fun you know rivalry now, if you will, with within our family. And, and as Notre Dame's gotten to play more ACC games down here in Georgia and North Carolina and Virginia, um, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So UVA's on deck, got some more family there. Mike and Morgan, we're, we're coming for you. But really, um, re- really fun now when Notre Dame gets to play in the Southeast for, for my family and, and some ACC rivalries that, that have built over time. In terms of uh, our weekly score prediction, uh, the winner this week was Clutch Sports Notre Dame with a winning score of 45 to 17. Didn't get the point total exactly like I basically did. Uh, was that like a week or two ago? But got the 28 point spread. So right on the money. R- really impressive. So rest of the show in store. We're going to recap the Navy game. We're going to dive into uh, UVA coming up on deck. Another high octane offense for for Notre Dame to face. Very similar to UNC and USC. We'll, we'll break down that matchup in Charlottesville. Prime time on ABC. 
And then we're going to close out this week in a two-part series. We're going to cover part one of name, image, and likeness. Really complicated topic. It's covered all sorts of airtime um, in off-season news especially. But we're going to break down what that means for college football, what that means for Notre Dame football. We're going to do that in a two-part series. So check that out later in the episode and again next week. Mike, dive into the Navy game. Let's do it. We had 94 workouts leading up to this game. You were the better team physically tonight. You made that decision. Notre Dame 34, Navy 6. Notre Dame gets their really first blowout win of the season. Um, 92% postgame win expectancy, which actually fairly low considering how lopsided this score was. A good way to frame this game, we've mentioned the Solid Verbal before, a great college football podcast. Go check out Ty and Dana, a show we really love. They talk about two themes a lot, crockpot wins. This was a crockpot win for Notre Dame. Really felt like it was kind of closer than it really was, and all of a sudden you look up at the score and it's 17-3 to at the half. All of a sudden you look up at the score and it's 34-6 to at the end. Just sort of slowly cooked Navy into a lopsided victory here. And the other thing, this was a good neck crack game for Notre Dame. They've played in a lot of close games this year, so... It's nice to take care of definitely an undermatched opponent, just a good old neck crack, a good old feel-good game. Uh, Notre Dame walks away with a really comfortable win and, and something I think this roster really needed going down the home stretch. Yeah, no, I think that's great context, uh, Brett. Moving into the offense, one of the big themes that, that I noticed, and we talked about it as well, was, uh, again, it's slow starts with the uh, with, with the offense. Um, and should we be concerned with that? And I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think there should be some cause for concern for here. I mean, there were multiple pre-snap penalties, which really seemed to get ND off schedule. There were seven penalties for 75 yards in the game. Most of those on the offense. Um, looking at our success rate, it was 43%, which is, which is fine, but you want to be in the high 40s. Um, and average, we averaged 50% the last three games. Um, and of course, Navy is a noticeably worse defense than, than many others we've, uh, we faced this season. Um, and then I think, you know, there were at times that the offense looked really good, but uh, it was kind of a feast or famine. So the success rate, just 23% in the first quarter, which matched what I was watching. It seemed like we were really struggling on offense early. And then 14% in the, in the third quarter, so also very slow. L- large stretches of inconsistent football. Um, I, I will say one thing, uh, that some color that we were getting post-game and even in the press conference day on Monday, um, there was like some speculation that maybe – uh, we were moving away from like the the faster pace that we had seen in recent weeks, um, and we're kind of going back to what what we uh, had done previously with Cone in, in earlier parts of the season. Um, and some of that rationale was basically to avoid the risk of having our defense on the field for for way too long. And um, you know, if, if we have like a quick three and out, basically that means. Uh, it's like the defense gets right back on the field. So we may may have been trying to mitigate that to some extent. Yeah, I mean, you got to be concerned with the slow start when you're playing Navy, who ranks outside the top 100 in basically every defensive category. Yet we start out with two three and outs and then a turnover on downs around midfield. Um, I guess we were maybe in plus territory, but just very, very slow start to this game. And and you mentioned the 23% success rate in the – First quarter, it was lower than that in the third quarter. It's 14% in the third quarter. So, you know, for really half of this game in the first quarter and then again in the third quarter, the offense just had long stretches of not moving the ball against a really overmatched Navy team. Now, look, was Tommy Reese throwing everything at the kitchen sink? No, definitely not, right? There's going to be bigger games coming up, a huge one coming up against UVA. Just came off of two huge games against UNC and, and, and USC. So, 
it's hard to over extrapolate too much, but certainly slow start. Um, you know, not great. I think I, I might be wrong on this. I think I saw somewhere that we haven't scored on our opening drive since Toledo. Don't quote me on that, but it, it sure felt like we came out in our first few games this year with a really great script to start the game, go down the field and get points right out of the gate with, with a really good game plan to start off. And we've we've moved away from that. We've we've really struggled out of the gate, and I, I think it's something we got to watch, especially in in shootouts, right? If if you don't have a slow start against UVA, you can be down 14 points in a blink. So slow start, not great. I hope it's just related to Navy and, and not a broader theme, but but something to watch for sure. And and that kind of relates to a second question of should we be happy with 34 points? That that was kind of the second question we've we've spent a lot of time texting about uh, in the last couple of days. Look, the over under was 48, and we had a 21 point spread, so that implied that Notre Dame should score 34 and a half points. That that was Las Vegas's prediction, and we were spot on. So I guess that means we should be happy. Um, especially against Navy that plays ball control, wins time of possessions, limits Notre Dame's opportunity. But at the same time, Navy almost inexplicably doesn't call the fair catch at the 20-yard line. The ball rolls out to the one-yard line, so we pin them at the one. The very next play, they they uh, muff the pitch on the triple option. That leads to a safety. That leads to a short field. We get a touchdown a few plays later. Just like that, that's a 10-point swing. So it really felt like Notre Dame offense didn't go out and have a juggernaut performance so between the slow start and really maybe only getting I don't know 24 points of offense that wasn't directly related to to defense and special teams uh, mediocre day and and you kind of walk away just not feeling great about the, the way the offensive looked from start to finish yeah we showed flashes but it just wasn't there the whole game which we've mentioned before so again I don't know next game against UVA we can't have these slow starts. If we get back to the consistent pace that we had before, maybe that maybe that changes things and we look better out the gate. Um, but moving on to our next takeaway, uh, yeah, I think overall this was a, a confidence booster for a lot of our key players um, and also a lot of a lot of the uh, key positions. So uh, first things first, the QB Jack Cohn uh, had a very efficient day, and it was interesting when I looked up his stats and how he graded out. Because uh, he did a lot better than I would have thought. It was one of those one of those days where he was kind of just going about his business, seemingly a bit more quietly than I expected. And then you look up, and um, he, he had a killer game. Pro Football Focus graded 91. He took two sacks, so that's maybe one complaint. However, one of those wasn't really on him. Uh, Pete Sampson had an article where he documented it, but uh, basically there was a perfect play call by Navy, and Joe Alt had a, had a critical miss block, and not really anything that uh that cone could do there and you see that reflected in the pro football focus grade when they're when they're grading that that play they know that uh they can tell if if, it, if it's on cone or if it's not um but you know uh 270 yards completed nearly 80 percent of his throws great day at the office yeah for, for sure i mean whenever you're completing 80 percent of your throws you're, you're going to be happy with the quarterback play and and also when a quarterback's completing 80 percent of your throws you're probably going to be happy with the receivers and and that's what we saw in this game kevin austin He's been inconsistent all year, but when he's on, when he's catching the ball and not having drops, he is as physically dominant of a wide receiver that, that we got. And so, you know, it seems like he's boom or bust. It seems like he's a guy you maybe don't want to play on your fantasy football team because he's either going to go and score 20 points in your half-point PPR league or he's going to put up a dud. Today, right. he put up a boom performance. He had a pro football focus grade of 80. His predicted points added per play was 1.85 again 1.4 1.5 that's really good 
for a receiver. So at 1.8, that's incredible. Um, six catches for 140 yards. You're finally starting to see um, just some really gaudy stat lines from Kevin Austin. And he's going to have some favorable matchups. Uh, UVA's got a weak secondary. Georgia Tech, Stanford are very susceptible in the passing game. So hopefully this bodes well for Kevin Austin here in the last two or three games. But really excited to see him break out in this one. Definitely. I saw a quote uh, with Kevin Austin, and they, they said he uh, makes the easy look hard and the hard look easy. And hopefully going forward, it'll it'll just be uh, making the hard look easy. Uh, but yeah, great to, great to see that performance from him. Uh, Chris Tyree, so he had only seven offensive snaps, so not, not a full go, but he seems to be working back into the flow. Uh, Kelly in his press conference today said that he should be full go this week, uh, which is key because we, we need some people back. Uh, and uh, especially with Avery Davis out for the year. So if we get some more of our good skill position players back, it, it, it can allow us allow Tommy to move uh, personnel around and get a little bit more creative. Yeah, and then I, th- I think the biggest takeaway of confidence boosters for, for key positions on offense goes to the entire offensive line. Um, line yards per rush was 4.0 in this game, highest on the season. Again, 3 to 3.2 is really, really good. Anything less than 2.8 is really bad. We, we were kind of averaging 2.2 to start the year. We've been averaging 3 to 3.5 the last few games. 4.0 is ridiculous. That just means on every single rushing play, the offensive line is moving the defensive line four yards off the line of scrimmage. Just a great day. And then that led to great performances for Kyron Williams and Logan Diggs. Kyron had 95 rushing yards at 5.5 yards per carry, two touchdowns. Diggs, um, he graded out really well again at Pro, Fo- Pro Football Focus. He had a grade of 82. Um, so just a great overall day um, for, for the, the run blocking, especially in the offensive line. Diggs looks better every time I see him. I, I, I was reading about Notre Dame's recruiting strategy. Apparently they are so high on Diggs that it has actually affected our recruiting strategy going forward with the running back room because we feel so good about him. We don't have to p- potentially put in quite as many uh, bodies as, as we needed before. So yeah, overall, overall great to see. Um, moving on to Havoc, limited amount of Havoc. Uh, we only gave up a Havoc rate of 13%, gave up a few sacks, which we mentioned and things like that, but, but no big turnovers. Um, and I think that's a key theme in the last few weeks. We, we've generally played pretty clean, no backbreaking turnovers. Um, the sacks have gone down. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's putting us, it put, it has put us in a better position to succeed. Yeah, you mentioned the, the turnovers. I'm going to throw out the turnover that we had against um, USC where yep. Austin went up and, and appeared to have dual possession and inexplicably the refs called it an interception out of catch. I, I just don't get that one. But otherwise, we haven't had a turnover since Virginia Tech, not, knock on wood. Um, but that's now three games in a row where, where the Irish play clean football in, in the turnover category. Um, just to close this out, um, explosiveness. You know, we mentioned Kevin Austin. He had the 70-yard bomb. Colsey had a 30-yarder. Kyron and Diggs each had 20-yarders. That was good for an explosiveness rating of 1.44. Um, again, that's on an index of kind of 0.8 to 1.5, 1.6. So 1.44, very much on the high end of explosiveness. That really differentiated Notre Dame in this game. It allowed us to get some quick strikes at the end of the half, extend that lead um, from what was probably a closer game than we'd like to, to 17-3 at the halftime and, and re- really put the game in cruise control. So, um, again, confidence booster for a lot of key players and, and, and key positions on the offense. Wrapping up the offensive side of the ball, we mentioned maybe some inconsistency. We mentioned maybe wanting a higher point total. So there's kind of a tale of two cities there where 
maybe not the most consistent game, but I think some really big individual performances that that hopefully bodes well for for rest of the stretch. Definitely. And then uh, moving on to the other side of the ball, the defense. The first takeaway for my head is that this was exactly what the doctor ordered. Um, Navy's a weird game. It's a triple option, so it's hard to extrapolate exactly how this projects to uh, to our game against uh, UVA next week. We, we know this defense, uh, we gave up a lot of yards to USC and UNC, um, and those are more comparable teams uh, to UVA. But for this game, it was sheer dominance. Six points. Anytime you give up six points, uh, unless you're playing the Citadel, you know I think you're going to be happy. Uh, allowed a success rate of just 22%, which is, is ridiculously good. Almost no explosiveness as expected. Uh, it is the triple option, but you still, even uh, with the triple option, um, which tends to limit havoc, we still generated a havoc rate of 16%. You want that number in the high teens, um, but given that it's hard to force these negative plays against the options, um, I think you're happy with that. And then uh, another takeaway, just three yards per play in the game. Don't want to overhype what this game means, but a really, really good showing for Freeman. This is a game that has tripped up defensive coordinators in the past, and it's an encouraging sign to see him pass his test with flying colors on his first go at Notre Dame. Not his first time that he's faced the uh, the Navy option. Yeah, I, I don't have anything else on the defensive side of the ball. That there, there's nothing else in, in in my notes. I I think that covers it. You know, when when you're playing a team like Navy, where you should be the superior team, and and they're struggling on the season, um, you want to see your defense dominate. That's something that Navy has actually done well in big games. They actually put up a really competitive fight against um, Cincinnati, for example. Um, but not the case in this game. Uh, and that, that started with Freeman's defense. They, they just really never opened the door to, to let Navy in it. The other big takeaway, stepping back from how the offensive and de- de- defensive sides of the football played, the injuries are just becoming a big headline for this team. So Captain Avery Davis, he goes down with what appears to be a season-ending knee injury. Um, you know, and... and Reminder for our listeners, Jordan Johnson, the five-star freshman last year, he transferred to UCF, where, by the way, everyone was upset he transferred. He can't even get on the field at UCF. He hasn't had a single catch all season. Um, Lawrence Keyes also transferred. Xavier Watts, he switched to defense. He's now playing safety. Um, Joe Wilkins went down with a season-ending injury this year. Um, so it's likely, actually, that Xavier Watts is, or someone else is going to have to come back and play wide receiver. We're down to just five scholarship players, a wide receiver. That's Kevin Austin, Lindsey. Uh, Styles and Colsey, who have really stepped up as freshmen, and then and then the redshirt freshman um, Thomas. So bad news at the wide receiver position, and it's starting to sound like the injuries are just getting concentrated. Right, we've had three injuries at tackle, we've had now three injuries at wide receiver, um, and then more bad news at linebacker. It sounds like Drew White is playing um, not only with a bad shoulder, which we knew a week ago, but he actually tore his PCL in practice. That that's a ligament in your knee. It's usually a two to four week injury, and he's bracing up and just playing through it. Um, that's on top of injuries to Simon, Luafau, and Paul Moalo, all linebackers out for the season. So um, injuries are easier to absorb when they're spread out. Right now, we're seeing a bunch of wide receiver, a bunch of offensive tackle, and a bunch of linebacker. And the rest of the roster is pretty healthy. Like there's some dings and, and you know bruises. We, we've seen Mayer and Tyree um, all, all miss some time, but. The, the season-ending injuries, a linebacker, wide receiver, offensive tackle, really started to be a theme for this team. It's a testament to Kelly that that, that they're able to hang in there right now, um, just just given what's piling up. 
Yeah, these injuries are certainly stacking up. I, I can't remember a season where we've had this many, uh, maybe since, I think it's 2015, and we had a pretty good year that year. We went to the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, but. the Joe Schmidt year. When Joe Schmidt went down, it felt like we had nobody left on the offense, uh, on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, it was a talented team, very talented team at certain <laughs> positions, a lot of top-end talent, but... Yeah, by the end of the year, the, the team was was worn down, and 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 you could tell. So it seems like so far we're holding up better than that. But I am getting a little nervous as we get uh, further into the season and and more of these uh, injuries uh, compound. Hopefully Hamilton comes back if he's good to go. Again, we've said we don't want him coming back unless he's actually good to go. But if a couple guys come back, maybe maybe that helps. I feel like we've been saying that the last couple weeks, and the injury situation just keeps getting a little bit worse. Um, but. Yeah, so hopefully the team gets a little more healthy, but uh, Kelly's done a great job navigating through it. Uh, wrapping up the, the the Navy game as a whole, overall, I think we felt this game felt kind of kind of blah, right? Kind of what we would have expected. Uh, ninety two, as we said, a ninety two percent post game uh, win expect win expect expectancy. Uh, thirty four to six, very comfortable, but like we said, Irish took a while to hit their stride. Offense seemed flat. Uh, but nothing that changed my view about this team's success. Um, and as a reminder, uh, myself and Brett both predicted an Irish win, but uh, wouldn't cover the spread. I guess 28-13, Brett 24-7. So with that, uh, I say, uh, you know, with, with a bit of a grin on my face, unfortunately, Brett, uh, you fall to 6-2 and two against the spread, which is still pretty good. That's still very respectful. You make a lot of money in Vegas with that. That 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 Hall of Fame record though is 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 uh, starting to starting to be in jeopardy. I'm I'm gonna really have to uh, sharpen my pencil and predictions here down down the stretch. Six and two, um, happy to be there at, at this point in the season, but uh, got, gonna need some luck in these uh, last three predictions for sure. Right. So that let's turn to UVA. Attention to detail, effort and enthusiasm, and finish strong. Four quarters of Notre Dame football. Irish hit the road to go to Charlottesville, Virginia, where they're going to take on the six and three Virginia Wahoos or the Virginia Cavaliers. They're four and two in the ACC, and you know, look, p- potential look ahead spot that they play Pittsburgh after Notre Dame and then Virginia Tech, and if they win those two games, that they're in the ACC championship game. However, I don't think they're looking past Notre Dame, even if it's a non-conference game, even if it doesn't have stakes for the ACC championship. This is going to be a top ten opponent. It's prime time on ABC. You got to imagine this is the de facto Super Bowl for for the Virginia Cavaliers football team. No question. Uh, everyone in the ACC knows that Notre Dame has had the ACC's number uh, since they joined their their latest agreement. Um, this, like Brett said, big prime time matchup. Uh, of course, we uh, I think last it was last time we were at UVA. I think that's when we had the Deshaun Kaiser bombed Will Fuller uh, as as the game expired to win, and you have the uh, the meme of the fan just uh, draped over the the wall uh, in, in the crowd in, in despair. So uh, I think after that, most uh, UVA fans are are looking for some revenge here. Again, top ten Notre Dame team. This is one of the ACC's better teams this year, and a win over Notre Dame. That's that's a big statement win, and uh, really really puts them on the map. Yeah, something else about this UVA team. They're six and three, and they're very much in the hunt for for an ACC division title, a spot in the ACC conference championship. But this team could also be very easily four and five. Uh, Miami missed a chip shot field goal as time expired. It actually went off the upright and an old you know kink, uh, kick boink off the upright. And then the next week, Louisville missed a game winning field goal as time expired. So UVA's been hanging on by a thread, led by a high high powered offense, but. 
defensively they've they've been leaky and so um you know six and three squad but maybe not quite as good as that record even suggests yeah and diving more into some of these advanced metrics to get more of a uh wholesome picture of who they are they're the 35th most efficient team for sp plus uh but this is a uh, a tale of two cities in many ways sixth most efficient offense uh so very good very good uh however you look at the other side of the ball 80th most efficient defense so massive drop off there um so yeah they get it done certainly on the on the offensive side of the ball uh they look and feel like unc and usc with a high power offense uh, but a, a below average uh defense so um not all that different from some other teams we faced this year i think their offense potentially could be it, it, it could be the best one we see all year unc was really good they're all all those teams are, are really high powered attack so it'll it'll be interesting to see how our defense can hold up against um against a uh, such a such a good offense and obviously some of this depends on whether or not uh, their QB uh, Armstrong actually uh, is actually able to go on Saturday yeah the the big news on Brennan Armstrong the the reports are they haven't said it out loud but that he might be trying to play through broken ribs um, he had a rather ambiguous interview um, th- th- this week that said he you know is feeling better but they'll be comfortable whoever starts so he, he didn't commit that he was playing um, Bronco Mendenhall kind of alluded that it'd be a game time decision. Um, Bronco Mendenhall now in his sixth season at, at, at UVA and really a guy that's taken a below average ACC football program and, and put him on the map to, to a level of, of consistency. So Bronco's done a, a really nice job there. Speaking of this disparity between their offensive and, and, and defensive side of the ball, they've scored 28 or more points in all but one of their games this year, but they've also given up 59 points to UNC. 66 points to BYU, 40 points to Virginia Tech. So explosive offense and an explosive defense just, just maybe in the wrong way. Um, with that, l- let's dive into some themes. We, we mentioned Brendan Armstrong's their, their quarterback. Um, he's, if he's playing in this game, he's going to play through an injury. If he's not playing in this game, I think the entire focus shifts here. So we're, we're doing this preview as if Brendan Armstrong is playing and as if he'll be healthy. And the question is, how good is Brendan Armstrong? Um, you know, to start this off, Mike, and then and then would love to hear your thoughts. He's averaging 400 yards passing per game. 400 yards. That's the most in FBS football, uh, with over 3,500 yards on the season. And among Power Five quarterbacks, no one's close. That the guy in second place has 2,800 yards. He's 700 yards behind. That's almost two full games behind where Brendan Armstrong is in yardage. 27 touchdowns. Um, he's been sacked a lot. He's had some interception problems. 23 sacks, eight interceptions. But, uh, you know, and for context, we, we think Jack Cohn takes a lot of sacks. Cohn's been sacked 24 times. So Brennan Armstrong takes as many sacks as Jack Cohn. But he's leading um, Power 5 quarterbacks and, and really all of FBS in, in passing yardage. So I think the stats just say he's he's good quarterback. What, what do you think? So my first thought when I see these big stats from a QB at a not a traditional powerhouse, my first thought is, okay, is this real? You, you see this in the past from, from teams like um, like Boise you know, like even like Houston in the past, just these high-powered offenses, a lot of smoke and mirrors. Um, but then when you dive in, um, when you dive into like the pro football focus grades, for example, um, no, it suggests that he's, he's actually doing a really good job and he's being really productive uh, for anyone, for any standard. His pro football focus grade is 91.4. That's number six in the country, tied with C.J. Stroud and just barely behind Bryce Young. Those are two uh, just very legitimate high-powered quarterbacks in the country right now. Sam Howell, for context, uh, in terms of QBs that we've actually faced this year, he's uh, 88.9, and he 
he had quite a day against us. Uh, Armstrong, his grade is higher. Uh, Ritter, who also played well against us, 81.7. Slovis, 80.2. So per pro, pro football focus, uh, this is the best QB that, that will play, uh, this year. Again, assuming that he's healthy. Um, and then, uh, moving into predicted points added per play, another metric that we look a lot at, uh, 0.45 for, for context. That's number 15 among power five QBs. So by that metric, he's also getting it done too. Um, for, for context in terms of opponents that we, we face, Howell is 0.42 in that metric. Um, and that's, so that's number 19. Um, so again, compared to like what we faced this year and we faced a lot of really good QBs, he may actually be the best that we see. Yeah. And, and the other thing about Brendan Armstrong, he is their offense. So, so we mentioned in, in the opening here, he, he's got a potential broken rib and, and we don't know if he'll play for sure or not. Um, what I'd emphasize though is we played Sam Howell, but he also has Chandler that, that's capable of rushing for a hundred yards in any game. We played Keen Slovis. Well, he's got Keontae Ingram who went off for 140 yards against us. Um, that run game balance is not part of UVA's offense. We'll get there. They got a very talented running back in Devin Darrington who, who can break off big games for sure, but that's not their bread and butter. Everything in this offense goes through Brandon Armstrong. He's going to throw it 30, 40, 50 times a game. So if he's hurt, um, I think one of the biggest differences between the other top offenses we've played, and I'll put UNC and USC in that bucket, who who put up a lot of yards against Notre Dame, this is a one-man wrecking crew with Brandon Armstrong, and it all revolves around him him in the passing game. Um, so with that, let's talk about their supporting cast a little bit. This is the other area, though, where they are different than UNC and USC. With UNC, you had Josh Downs. With USC, you had um, Drake London. They had two big number one targets, but after that, no one really was capable of burning us, right? They didn't have a ton of balance at wide receiver. This team, though, um, a ton of explosiveness. Dontavian uh, Wicks, Keontae Thompson, Devin Darrington, um, several others, um, a lot of skill positions um, supporting Brendan Armstrong where he's not just looking to target one guy. Um, he's got a really deep supporting cast where he's going to spread the ball around. Definitely. And if you look at these guys' grades, uh, Dontavian Wicks, pro football focus grade of 83. Thompson, uh, pro football focus grade of 87. And Devin Darrington, the running back, pro football focus grade of 87. So that's, that's really high. In total four, they have four skill position players at QB running back and wide receiver with grades of 80 or higher. Six with grades of 70 or higher. For context, Notre Dame has zero. Jack Cohn and Kyron, grade 76. Uh, they've been ticking up a bit in recent weeks, but if you look at the season as a whole, they're not there. UVA has four guys above 80, so absurdly talented offense. Brett made the point that everything runs through Armstrong. They pass the ball a lot. Uh, but Darrington, the running back, is very talented. So this isn't a situation where they're not running the ball because they can't. The option is there, and it can be effective when they, they choose to do it, and you have to respect it. So that's another component that makes their offense so dynamic. Um, but, yeah, I mean – in terms of like how they find success, they do still tend to uh, lean on the pass quite a bit. Yeah, Dontavian Wicks, he's almost got a thousand yards receiving already, nine touchdowns, 23 yards per catch. So when Dontavian Wicks catches the ball, it's a big play. Keontae Thompson, this guy's really interesting. He was a top 200 recruit. He's kind of Taysom Hill, like he was recruited as a quarterback and now he plays receiver, but he's played over 10 snaps per game at quarterback, at running back, and at wide receiver. So he's going to play all over the place. He's going to run the ball. He's going to catch the ball. He's dangerous to throw it. Um, 
So for a guy that's lining up 10 times a game at quarterback, he's got 51 catches. Um, so a uh, jack of all trades. And then you, you mentioned Darrington. Yeah, he's, he's a very um, dangerous runner. It's, it's not their bread and butter, but he's running for nine yards per carry. Um, that's just absurd. So what all this leads to is some ridiculously crazy numbers on offense. We've, we've talked about how good Notre Dame's been the last four weeks, averaging around 50% success rate. They've averaged 50% success rate the entire season. That, that's number 12 in, in FBS football. Um, explosiveness of 1.36. That's number 16 in the country. Um, and then again, you know, Thompson and Darrington, they're both getting seven, nine yards per carry. Their offensive line is generating 3.5 line yards per rush. We, we mentioned three to 3.2 is, is a really good season for Notre Dame. They're at three and a half. So that's 15% more productive, um, than some of our more daunting offensive lines with Quentin Nelson out there. Um, so that, that line yard stat per, for, for UVA is, is top 10. So, Across all sorts of the advanced metrics we, we really track with success rate and explosiveness and line yards, um, they're top 15 in pretty much every single one of them. Yeah, and so that I think that that moves us on to my next thought is like, okay, so where is where is the weakness here? Where, where can Freeman look to have success? And some of these other high-powered offenses that we've seen, like Brett mentioned, like they, they have like some weakness, like their offensive line uh, would have holes in it. And, if you, and Notre Dame, we have a strong defensive line, so we would be able to capitalize on that. Um, I think the, the takeaway here, though, is that this is, again, a very complete offense. And it's noticeable at the offensive line. Um, and I think when you look at the production from the number two, three, four options in the offense, there's not like a huge drop off. So, uh, this is a bit of a, a long, uh, winding way of saying they don't have any obvious weakness when you just look at their personnel and how their personnel has, has, uh, has performed thus far. They have given up a lot of set. They have given up quite a few sacks. Uh, I don't know if that's all on the offensive line necessarily. Obviously, some of it is. Some of it is could be a uh, just kind of like a, a component of like how they're running their offense. Um, again, when you have fifty percent success rate and uh, explosiveness of one point three six, you know, I think no matter what, that means your offense is humming uh, at, at, at a pretty good click. Um, but you know, I think the the other area to me, and this is sort of a cop out answer, is just the talent mismatch. Um, you know, UVA hasn't dealt with, you know, very highly talented teams. They've played good teams. They, they've played BYU. That's a really good team. Uh, but UNC was probably the one game where they played a top 20 talent team in terms of recruiting. And UNC beat them by 20 points. So we talk about 247's um, talent composite rating a lot. That looks at the overall recruiting ratings of the 85 scholarship players on your roster. UVA is the 56th most talented team. Um, now, Cincy, they're number 54, and look what they did to us, right? They, they beat us at home, well-coached, high-powered high offense with a great defense, and we had a talent mismatch in that game. But UVA, number 56, talented team in the country. Notre Dame's top 15 in that metric. And that shows for some of their, their you know stud players. Brendan Armstrong was the number 619 recruit in the country. Dontavian Wicks was the number 679 recruit in the country. Devin Darrington, he actually transferred from Harvard, so he, he was playing Ivy League football. He was the number 845 recruit in his class. So the one thing that I think maybe gives Notre Dame an edge is just sheer athleticism, sheer strength, sheer speed, power. Um, I think that's the advantage for Notre Dame. But just looking at the advanced metrics that, that we've seen so far this year, UVA's offense is really good. Mike, I agree. There, there's no real obvious weakness stands out. Right. Maybe we can get some sacks. Hopefully we can. Um, yeah, for our defensive line has looked 
good all year. There have been a few games where we haven't been able to hit our sacks. I mean, a lot of that came against Howell, uh, noticeably. Of course, Howell is particularly good at evading sacks in many situations. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the talent mismatch is, is, is a key here. Um, with a team like UVA, yeah, I mean, really productive. Did they just find a bunch of diamonds in the rough? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they found some, but I imagine a lot of it is just the sum, uh, or the individual components are, uh, in, not quite as great as, as some of the parts, essentially. So, and I think you have a lot of that going on. And when, when you test that against, uh, one of the elites, uh, not not elite to the same extent as like Bama or Clemson, but one of the elite uh, programs in terms of talent. I think that's when you uh, can really test and see exactly where your program stands, and that that should be the case with UVA. My guess is hopefully Notre Dame uh, has too many horses for them to keep up with, but um, but we'll see. Um, so with that, moving to the other side of the ball uh, with UVA, uh, can their defense stop anybody? We've already mentioned that their defense has not performed. Uh, that well to say the least this year. And I think, uh, our answer is probably not. For S&P Plus, uh, BYU, a team that they, uh, they faced before their bye, is the 26th most efficient offense, and they put up 66 points on UVA. Uh, for context, Endy is, we're the 21st most efficient offense. So a bit better. Um, and not to mention that I think we've, we've improved significantly as the year has gone by. So, um, it's possible that our production could be even better than that. Um, so overall, we are similar to BYU, not saying we'll score uh, 66 points, but, uh, I think when you look at some of their defensive grades, it is pretty, pretty, pretty shocking in some ways. The run defense has a grade of 42. We talk about replacement level grades. I think Brett's like anything below 60 is like a pretty obvious, like low, yeah. r- low level replacement. This is like beyond replacement level grade. It's basically you have gaping holes that like running backs have all, all day to run through. Um, and, uh, if you look at their, their pass rush grade, they're they're not really getting it done there either. Pass rush grade of 63. That's 122 out of 130 teams. So I think for Notre Dame, it's good to hear the offensive line. We've made a lot of steps. Our, our pass blocking, in particular, in particular, has really improved with our uh, tempo. Cone has uh, avoided stepping into some of these sacks as much. And I think against this team in particular, against UVA, where they really are not uh, doing a good job at all rushing the passer, you have to feel good that we're going to keep the havoc down again in this game. Yeah, they they only generate 14% havoc again if your defense you want to be in the high teens. So 14% havoc um meaning they generate negative plays on on 14% of their defensive snaps. That's 116th in the country out of 130 teams. Um and then their success rate allowed us 47%. That's 108th out of 130 teams. So we've just listed a lot of um really important advanced metrics for a defense and they're um outside the top 100. Um, in pretty much all of them. And I think a lot of this goes, you started their defensive line in, in their run defense and their pass rush. A lot of it goes back to that, that their front seven is 126th in the country in um, defensive havoc rate from the front seven. So I think this is a huge opportunity for our offensive line to control another game, for Kyron Williams to really put this team on his back, for Jack Cohn to get time to, to step up and, and execute the offense. Um, I think if you said... What's the best unit on the field? It might be UVA's offense. If you said what's the worst unit on the field, it's UVA's defense. And and for me personally, that gap between UVA's defense and Notre Dame's offense, that's going to be the biggest mismatch in this game. That that for sure is going to be, you know, the one unit that can't hang in there, right? Like we still have a top 20 defense that can yep. hang with UVA's offense. They do not have an even top 30, top 40 defense. 
that that's going to be able to mount a, a lot of pressure against against their offense. So with that, let's go to score predictions. Uh, SP plus ratings implies Notre Dame is a six point favorite on a neutral field, so that should be about a three point favorite on the road. Uh, and the Las Vegas spread actually right now is at five and a half. So the Irish like Vegas slightly more than than the predictive analytics. Um, that might be because of the Brendan Armstrong injury news, right? Obviously, if he's out, that would go much more in the favor of Notre Dame. Um, I think if it's announced that Brendan Armstrong's playing, you should maybe expect that five and a half point spread to maybe come down to, to, to three or four points. Um, and the over under 64 and a half. So that implies this is going to be about a 35 to 30 game. Um, Vegas thinks this will be another shootout. So, um, Mike, what's your, uh, what's your prediction? So I'm gonna be I'm gonna be an aggressive better here. I'm gonna assume that Armstrong, even if he's good to go, I'm gonna assume that he's a bit hobbled. He tried coming back in in the BYU game for one play, and it was clear that he just didn't have it. I assume he's in a lot better shape now than he was before. But I, I will assume that if he can go, he's not gonna quite be the same. He won't be mobile. He won't be able to move around as well. And then I'm also gonna assume, uh, you know, that Kyle Hamilton is uh, is fully healthy, good to go, makes his return. And I think when you combine that, that gives me a score of about 40 to 28. Now, of course, now that I said that, I've, I've probably jinxed us, and both of those things are going to go against us. Now, I actually, it, it's interesting. I don't want to say jinx us because, like, I do want Notre Dame to play a fully healthy UVA team. I think that gives us more credibility. And you just frankly want to play uh, your opponents at full strength. If if we get Kyle Hamilton and they get Brandon Armstrong, game on, and I'm, I'm ready for that matchup. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, look, I think this is a really similar game to UNC and USC in terms of the opponent, a, a top offense and a, and a leaky defense. We've, we've been consistent in hammering that theme home. Um, the difference though is that I think UVA is more disciplined and more balanced, but less talented. And I think that talent is going to win out. You know, one of the things we didn't talk about is draft grades. Sam Howell, quarterback for North Carolina, almost certainly a first round NFL talent, uh, maybe second round. Drake London, Almost certainly a top 15 pick. Brendan Armstrong, he's a fifth round draft grade. So that's, you know, about where Ian Book was, was grading out just from a NFL draft perspective. And I think that talent wins out. Um, it's another night game. This is the fifth game that the Notre Dame will be playing in prime time this year, including four in the last five. And, and we've done really well in those games. Um, we've, we've walked away w- with a win in, in all five of those so far. Um, I think this is going to be a shootout, but I actually got Notre Dame, um, winning this one pretty comfortably. Um, similar score to you. I had 45 to 28, so actually a little bit more aggressive than, than you, Mike, but, but similar. I think UVL get their points. Um, but I think Notre Dame's offense re- really comes out and dominates this football game and, and Notre Dame comes home with a, 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 a multi-score victory on, on the road in a shootout. It, it really doesn't seem to have that trap game element. And I, I don't really buy into the, the trap game mentality much at all. You know, I think that that's just, it's interesting, uh, it's an interesting talking point, but, I feel like the last few weeks, this is uh, this game has been somewhat circled on the calendar a bit. It's like this is one of Notre Dame's toughest remaining tests. And I think everyone knows it. I think the team knows it. UVA's played really well. Um, so I don't think there's uh, any chance that Notre Dame is caught by surprise at all in this one. I think they know this is a good team they got to prepare for. A team that has a lot of weaknesses, but I think overall it's a team that if Notre Dame shows up, they have the talent and they should be able to handle them. Yeah, ESPN's win predictor has Notre Dame winning this 55% of the time. So, so just to be clear to our fans out there, a lot of the advanced analytics have this almost a toss-up, right? And I think the only reason why it's not um, in, in the spread is is because of the Brendan Armstrong injury status. But after this game, Notre Dame has an 84% win probability against Georgia Tech and a 78% win probability against Stanford. So 
if Notre Dame gets by this game, they're going to be heavy favorites going into the next two. You know the coaching staff knows that. You know the coaching staff knows that this is the biggest remaining challenge for this team. It's not to look past Georgia Tech or Stanford, but I'm confident Kelly's going to get this team ready to play. Yep, and then when that happens, then we can uh, complain if we don't make the playoff, uh, like Texas A&M last year. So we'll find out what's more fun, uh, making the playoff and then losing in a blowout or complaining that you should have been there and that you would have won the championship had they put you in. Exactly. All right, let's turn over to our uh, first part in a two-part series covering name, image, and likeness. Start fast. You cannot wait for anything to happen out there. You have to go and get this game. Start fast. Name, image, and likeness. Maybe the biggest topic in college football this offseason. And and frankly, it's early on in, in this discussion what NIL means, name, image, and likeness, abbreviated to NIL. It's the Wild West right now. There's ongoing court cases being decided. There's states introducing legislation. Federal Congress is introducing legislation. Um, the NCA has basically recused itself and has stopped implementing its rules until the dust settles. So a wild topic. It's all over the news, and, and we wanted to provide our listeners with as best we can a summary. But this is a really dense topic, so we're going to cover it in two parts and, and try our best to, to unpack it for you. First thing to focus on is how uh, the impact of this shapes the college experience, recruiting, parity, of course, what matters the most in college football, who wins and loses, and also what it means for, for non-football. This is, a, as Brett said, a massively complicated topic, and it seems like ESPN, Fox, other media outlets, they haven't uh, been covering it at quite uh, the same uh, level as they did uh, when this was building up, So um, at least since, since the news broke in the offseason. Yeah, so we'll, we'll cover this topic both this week and next week. On, on this show, we're going to summarize what the actual NIL policies are, um, what they were a few years ago, what's changed, where we are today, try to give a clean summary of what's actually going on. Then next week, we'll do a second part that looks at Notre Dame specifically, how NIL deals are going with Notre Dame players who've secured deals this year, what companies are, are, are they working with in sponsorship deals, and also how, how does that compare to other schools in, in the country. And we just mentioned there, there are a lot of angles here, what it means for other Notre Dame sports, what it means for recruiting, what it means to either help Notre Dame become a top five program, or maybe, God forbid, even further widen the gap uh, versus programs like Alabama. So this is really nuanced, really complicated, and we don't think we know enough yet on how this plays out in the long term. Frankly, I don't, I don't think anyone does uh, to have a view on all that. All fascinating questions. We're not going to cover every single one. So NIL, the fundamental issue of NIL is the NCAA's antitrust exemption. Now, this is a little legalese where we're going to try to keep it higher level, but antitrust regulation is basically meant to design um, monopolies from being prevented um, from having complete control over an industry um, and, and then act in certain ways that, that would be bad for consumers. Um so there's rules in federal and state law to regulate those monopolies. Pepsi and Coca-Cola essentially control the soda industry, and they're subject to all sorts of regulation and scrutiny um, to ensure they don't uh, do certain bad behaviors. Microsoft has a monopoly on computer software. Everyone uses Word, Outlook, PowerPoint, Excel, and there's not really an alternative. Um, they're subject to a lot of regulation to make sure that bad behavior doesn't happen related to computer software. So the NCA is a monopoly. Now, technically, the NCA is a nonprofit organization. 
all the money that the NCA makes, it ultimately goes back to its member schools. So the NCA as an entity doesn't keep any of the money. Therefore, they're a nonprofit. But as an organization, they control college athletics. There's not another option to go play college sports. If, if you want to be a college athlete, you've got to play for the NCA. So therefore, the NCA does have a monopoly on college athletics. But because it's a nonprofit and because it involves amateur athletics, which is historically a really complicated legal concept, the NCA has long had an exemption to antitrust laws. For example, they can limit the number of scholarships. They can determine eligibility based on academic performance. And most importantly for this discussion, they can limit the compensation that an athlete receives for their performance. And namely, that's limited to a scholarship. And in non-D1 sports, you don't even get athletic scholarships. So what were the NIL rules before? The, the NCAA previously had rules that said Division I athletes couldn't receive compensation related to their name, image, and likeness. They couldn't receive compensation related to their athletic performance. The only thing that a Division I athlete could receive is an academic scholarship to cover tuition, room, and board. Nothing else. No cash pay, no living stipend, no deals for autographs, no TV commercials. And the concern was that if you don't allow student athletes to get paid by the universities, but you do allow them to get paid for sponsorships, then the universities will figure out a way to work with their boosters, work around those rules, and still pay student athletes. So full stop, athletes can't get paid beyond scholarships. And even outside the Division One, Division Two athletes and lower, they don't even get scholarship athletes for athletics. If they want to earn scholarships, it needs to be academically. So it's, it's even more stringent once you get outside D1. But at the D1 level, it's, it's full stop cut off with your academic scholarship and related to that room and board. Definitely. And I, I would say the D2, D3 levels, you're, you're, there probably aren't as many outside parties who are <laughs> interested in paying those athletes anyway. But needless to say, the point here is no pay to student athletes whatsoever, whether directly by the school or indirectly through sponsorship deals. So that's that's been the case for as long as I could remember until recently. So what changed? The court case NC, NCAA versus Alston. Alston sought to end the NCAA's restrictions on education-related benefits. So the NCA would say things like scholarships cannot include the cost of textbooks or the cost of laptop computers or tuition can only be for a certain number of years. It can't be a lifetime of free education. Uh, so there were pretty heavy restrictions that limited scholarships to tuition and room and board while the student was a student athlete. Student athlete. Nothing else. NCA versus Allison reversed that. So now scholarships can cover some of these things that I just mentioned. And then most importantly, NCA versus Allison, they didn't make a ruling on NIL, just to be clear. It was about education-related benefits. It had nothing to do about name, image, and likeness or sponsorship deals. So then why was this Alston court case so important? It reversed a longstanding precedent on the NCA's antitrust exemption. This case basically said that the NCA is a monopoly and they will be subject to antitrust laws. So while this was just related to education benefits, it's exposed the NCA to a much broader set of policies, and therefore the NCA is reacting quickly. So at the same time that the Supreme Court ruled on the Alston case, a host of other litigations have followed that are specifically related to NIL. They've now been combined. There's one class action. It's called In-Re-NIL Litigation. The first of those litigations was filed in July 2020. Those cases are currently being heard in district courts. It's going to be a long, drawn-out process, lots of lawyers involved, appeals, yada, yada, yada. It could be several more years until those cases are fully resolved, um, particularly if they get appealed to the Supreme Court level. 
Right. And I think if you actually like dive into these uh, these cases and read the language that the justices wrote, a lot of it was not very favorable to the NCA. They were calling into question a lot of what has just been the status quo for a long time. Um, and so the NCA, they can see where this is headed. And what do they do? They raise the white flag. In June, they basically said that until that the case is decided, until further legislation is passed at, at federal and state levels, they will no longer enforce their NIL rules. So it's not that the NCA actually made a new rule. They just said that they won't enforce their existing NIL, NIL rules with uh, with really two exemptions. They won't allow universities to pay athletes directly, uh, and they won't allow athletes to receive compensation directly tied to their performance. So you can't have an NIL sponsorship deal that says uh, this athlete gets paid $100,000 if they win the, the national championship. Those deals, uh, they can't be linked directly to performance. And now this is where things are getting wild. So the NCAA has basically said they're leaving it to each university to enact their own policies. You can imagine schools like Alabama probably have very different policies than schools like Northwestern or Stanford. Um, right now, there's also no federal law on name, image, and likeness. There, there's some bills being introduced in Congress and being discussed. Nothing's been passed, and it seems unlikely that the current Congress is really going to take this up as an issue. And then at the state level, about half of the states have passed NIL legislation. And the state legislation we need to call out is really not that important. I feel like it was getting a lot of attention in the media before uh, some of these recent developments happened. But states with legislation have basically put in some restrictions that are fairly common sense but don't actually limit NILs. Those restrictions include type types of endorsements. For example, some states have said no alcohol, tobacco, or cannabis endorsements. There's also length of endorsements. The length of a contract can't be longer than four years or whenever students are expected to graduate. You can't make uh, the lifetime uh, Bobby Bonilla deals, unfortunately. <laughs> Crystallizes the fact that it can't be tied directly to athletic performance, which we already talked about. And, and importantly, none of these restrictions are on boosters. So for a long time, it was a very strong rule that if you were a booster, so if you made a donation to a university, then you couldn't provide anything to student-athletes. That's out the door. So if you're a donor to a university... Uh, before you couldn't make backdoor payments to deals. Well, now if you're a donor to a university, but you run a car dealership, you can just set up a sponsorship uh, and, and pay a student. Um, even if you're a donor, you can go pay them a sponsorship through your, your car dealership or, or your benefits. And and that's been you know the, the center of so many recruiting scandals in the past was booster involvement. And, and to be clear, uh, Mike and I, we are boosters to Notre Dame, so it is fair game for Mike and I to start bringing in Notre Dame football players pay them an endorsement deal to be on the podcast and you know look we're, we're boosters but it's it's fair game now so that's one of the biggest changes here is is delinking um, the enforcement on boosters and benefits to student athletes maybe the podcast giveaway next year will just be uh it'll be an nil for for notre dame football players and uh just a nice a nice cash check uh, which is crazy that you can actually say that and it and, and it, it, you might not actually get in trouble for that to, to be clear, Sam Asaf, who was on the show earlier this year, Sam was in no way uh, financially supported. He, he he received no um, permissible or impermissible benefits other than, I guess, just getting to talk to us for 20 minutes. But but so far, we've had no endorsements on, on the Garish Talk podcast. Yep. Um, another big aspect of this is that about half of the states still don't have NIL legislation, and many aren't even considering it at all. So this has been grossly mischaracterized. For example, slap the sign— it's a news site dedicated to ND football. They wrote an article 
arguing that this is bad for Notre Dame because Indiana doesn't have NIL legislation. So therefore, Notre Dame athletes won't get to have NIL deals. Uh, it's actually the opposite here. If there's not NIL legislation in the state, then it simply means there's no regulation on it at all. So it's actually better for Indy to be in Indiana. Indy can set up whatever rules they want. There's no federal law at the moment, and there's no state law limiting what Notre Dame's football players can do for the NIL deals. Now, look, Notre Dame's probably not going to be as aggressive as Brett said, someone like Bama, but it allows you uh, max flexibility. You don't have any. You don't have to worry at all about having different rules compared to some of our competitors. So what's next? Um, I'm sure that schools with more boosters, more money funneling into athletics, they'll be more likely to take advantage. We'll, we'll cover this next week, but Alabama's potential Heisman candidate, quarterback Bryce Young, is reported to have close to a million dollars in endorsements. Um, impact for recruiting. Certainly looks like schools that can arrange bigger endorsements for the biggest players. They're going to get a recruiting advantage. We'll, we'll talk about next week if there's early signs of whether or not that's a positive or negative for Notre Dame. I think the other biggest takeaway to just really hit home this is very, very early. There's litigation going on um, that's specifically related to the NIL question, not this whole kind of antitrust exemption and, and education-related benefits, but are specifically about name, image, and likeness benefits. Um, that's currently in the district courts. That's months, if not years away. Legislation at the federal level, that's where you could see the biggest regulation step in. Um, that's not going to come anytime soon, but... It will at some point. And so we've also gone from the start of this year in, in June where, you know, as of May or June, it was the same old rules that always applied with the NCA applying its kind of own investigative legal system to now zero regulation. Schools had to react quickly. They're in year one. They're not sure what to do. They're all getting lawyers to figure out what can I can't do. And they quickly threw this together overnight. So this is very early. It's going to continue to evolve. And this is a topic that we're, we're going to be seeing how, how it plays out for several years. One quick call out on, uh, I think you said it was Bryce Young. So some of these these deals are massive, and there's no question that Bryce Young is making a lot of money through his NIL. There are, we said they can't be compensated for performance, but there can be other provisions that are in them, and one of which is, you know, you, you could be required to sign X number of autographs or, you know, participate in uh, certain events or something like that as, as a as a uh, component of the deal. So, um some of these headline figures, the athletes are not actually necessarily getting all that. There are certain things that they may have to do. They may have to sign like 10,000 autographs or something like that. And are they actually going to do that? I don't know. Um, but at least like the, the upside to make that money is there. And, um, I think another point, uh, that I'll mention is again, like this is an area where schools can differentiate themselves competitively. It's very early. Uh, Notre Dame so far, from what I've read, it seems like in the recruiting pitch, they've actually done a pretty good job presenting how how Notre Dame could really position its players uh, well to take advantage of these rules. Um, you've, you've heard it from, like, parents of recruits. It seems like they've shown well. Now, uh, when push comes to shove, are we going to be able to put together, like, the same bottom-line dollar figures that these other programs will? I don't know. That's It's too early to be able to say, and I think it's too early to be able to say if we're going to be able to uh, to be able to, like, push that and, and differentiate. Um, another big takeaway as of right now, the takeaway is that, like I said, college athletes can get these endorsements. Um, they get paid for playing college sports. Um, so we understand that that's, that's, uh, that's something that we just assume now. But another question is, is that a good thing? Most student athletes go pro in something other than sports. There's also really high bankruptcy rates for college football players later in life. And that's also even true for a lot of professional players too. Um, but, uh, a lot of these students, 
unfortunately, they, they don't always get into routines where they're going to class. They're not always finishing their degrees. They're not always getting the same education that their classmates are. So anyone who, who thinks that scholarship is the golden ticket in life, frankly, that's, that's not necessarily true. And if you're giving them an opportunity to generate some money when they're very marketable, um, it just seems like a no-brainer. No one's really getting hurt. I'm sure there'll be there, – in, in any situation like this, there's always people who will try to take advantage of it. But I think, by and large, this, this seems like a positive for, for the college, uh, college athletes. For sure. I mean, it's, it's a really nuanced question of, of how this changes college sports if um, money is now involved. But to be clear, money's been involved forever, right? And, and to think that money wasn't driving college sports before, it's probably a little bit naive. And now that some of that money is directly being, you know, given to players, um, it's certainly good for the players. I, I don't know if it's good for the sport, but but it feels like this is a big win for for, for student athletes. And look, I think this is a really good discussion. We'll dive in next week a little bit more about what it means for Notre Dame and and the current state of the program, uh, the the football program. But a quick recap on what we covered so far: um, Alston, really big litigation. Um, it concluded that the NCA no longer gets its antitrust exemption. One of those exemptions is that it can't control benefits. Um, it can't control compensation. And it's unclear what that means. And state legislatures and federal legislatures and courts haven't defined what that means. And so in an era where the NCA doesn't know what it can and can't do now that it's been deemed a monopoly, they've just said, we're not going to enforce this rule. And the upshot is college athletes can receive endorsements. Um, for our listeners, if you have questions on NIL, please let us know. Um, it's really complicated and dense, but we, we've spent a lot of time researching this. We'd love to keep diving in. So if, if you've got questions on this, give us a shout. Um, we'd love to keep talking about this um, throughout future episodes. And, and again, we'll, we'll cover this again next week with the Notre Dame football program specifically. All right, it's time. Play for Notre Dame. Play for each other. These are the games that you come to Notre Dame to play in. You have fans that came out to see you. They were in pregame. It doesn't happen in college football. They're out here to watch you play. Go play. We're going to close out this week's show with the return of the Four Horsemen segment. This week it will be the uh, Horsemen of the Most Ridiculous NCAA Violations for the Impermissible Benefits Rules. Now, we've run into this once before. There are way too many examples for us to narrow this down to four horsemen. So we've got the return of the infamous 12 horsemen segment. We are here to highlight the 12 best examples of impermissible benefits. No, we're not talking about violent crimes or recruiting violations or cheating scandals. Specifically, impermissible benefits from the downright trivial, why does NCA even care about this, to some of the most egregious, Reggie Bush, we're coming for you. So let's kick this off. We're going to go David Letterman top 10 style uh, for our 12 horsemen segment of the week. Mike, you want to kick us off? Okay, number one. One of the most recent examples uh, with the theme of the NCAA uh, really liking to pick and making a statement with smaller programs. Uh, Akron football players got between $100 to $1,000 allegedly to pay rent. Nope, not under the NCAA's watch. They get two years probation and all wins are vacated. Which, for Akron, what does that actually amount to? Uh, the, the last coach was fired with a record of 3-24, and so good job, NCAA. I guess you get to vacate three wins. Uh, nothing gets past you. You really put the hammer down, and I'm sure uh, LSU and Kansas and some of these other programs are, are shaking in their boots right now. Poor Akron Zips, just just the scapegoat for, for the NCAA. 
Um, on a related theme of the trivial, Oklahoma players were deemed to get too much of a food allowance for eating pasta. The amount that they went past the limit was $3.83, and the players were forced to donate $3.83 to a charity of their choosing for violating impermissible benefits, again, related to their food allowance. Yeah, I think the lesson here is you don't want to take the Oklahoma football team to Little Italy. It was, it was three eighty three here. You take them to Little Italy, maybe you start getting the twenty thirty dollars, and then they start vacating wins. Uh, moving to the next one, this is a bigger one. UNC boosters uh, paid for multiple football players, including Marvin Austin, for party trips to Miami. Uh, so this definitely doesn't fall under the category of education related benefits, but I, I guess maybe Austin gets suspended. Uh, I believe this was uncovered during the UNC academic scandal investigation, which is another broader issue that was going on there. Um, and of course, the NCA they weigh in. They determined that a fake academic department and free party trips to Miami should result in, wait for it, no action by the NCA. I think the rationale that they used was because these fake classes were available to everybody. Uh, it was a technicality, and they couldn't punish North Carolina. Um, so interesting end result there. Next on the list at number four, Marquise Pouncey, the all-pro center in the NFL. He went to Florida when he was a Gator. He allegedly received $100,000 to stay for Florida's Sugar Bowl game rather than sit out the bowl game and, and prepare for the draft. Now, Pouncey claims he got the $100,000 after the Sugar Bowl as a loan from his agent when he declared for the NFL draft. No one really knows for sure. Uh, literally, the last headline from this storyline was just, the NCA is investigating. Uh, never followed through, and I guess their investigation never reached a conclusion, and they just gave up. Someone forgot to send a follow-up email, and yeah, nothing happened <laughs> from it. Uh, the next one, A.J. Green suspended four games when he was at Georgia before embarking on an all-pro NFL career. His sin, he sold his jersey. You know, just kick him out, never ah, let him back no, on no. campus. Yeah, <laughs> Can't do that. Reggie Bush, maybe the most famous story. He lost his Heisman. And USC had to vacate uh, several seasons worth of wins, including a national championship. Why? Reggie Bush got over $200,000 in improper benefits. And that doesn't include the Cadillacs that he was driving around campus. But times have changed. Bush is calling for his Heisman to be reinstated. Uh, no, Garish Talk podcast does not support that. Reggie, you cheated in the Bush push. You cheated in your Heisman campaign. I say keep all of that vacated, and we'll just pretend it never happened. Yeah. And Reggie's doing pretty well for himself. He's he's a prominent yeah. college football analyst right now, generally well-respected, but those were the rules at the time, and uh, you can't just uh, totally scrap them. So, uh, And the next one, this is another big one, Scam Newton. Uh, and this one was never technically fully proven, but it is a very well-known... <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to call it a rumor. I think most people know that this likely happened, that his father was shopping his talents during the recruiting process. Pretty much outright asked Mississippi State to make a cash offer. And then he wound up uh, wound up at Florida. I guess how much Florida paid. No one knows. Obviously, he had some incidents there, wound up at Auburn, won the Heisman, uh, has had a, generally a good NFL career, maybe not as much recently. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm from the South and pretty much you talk to anyone who didn't go to Auburn and they... Yeah, it is just like it is just a fact that that Cam Newton's dad was getting paid to to shop his son around. Yeah, and in fact, his high school football field is actually very near near one of my favorite golf courses in Atlanta, Wolf Creek Golf Course. If if you're ever in Atlanta, ch check it out. So Cam Newton, uh, an Atlanta legend, uh, legend from his high school days. 
Number eight on the list, SMU, the Mustangs. They got the death penalty in the 1980s. SMU is a powerhouse football program back in the 80s. They get shut down for paying over $60,000 to 21 players. $60,000, though, 21 players, you shut down the program? Why? Well, the worst part of this, they were already on probation for impermissible benefits. So that didn't sit well with the NCA when they were already caught red-handed. And then they kept doubling down. The program subsequently gets shut down. The infamous death penalty. Uh, they lose all their scholarships and, and SMU football forever, a, a shell of a of its former self when it was a 1980s powerhouse. Yeah, they really have never fully recovered. They've been they've had some good seasons as of late, but nothing close to being the powerhouse that they once were. Um, now moving on to an actual powerhouse football program, Jim Trestle in Ohio State. This was a. Uh, this one received a ton of attention when it was happening, I remember. It was just the headline on ESPN, top story pretty much every day for I don't even know how long. It might have been months. But uh, as a reminder, the Buckeye players, uh, Terrell Pryor, he was heavily involved with this, arranged a deal with a tattoo parlor uh, to sell conference championship rings, jerseys, and other memorabilia. Uh, so that's problem number one. Not the – given the rules of the time, not, not exactly what you want to be doing. However, what pushed this scandal above – it's funny calling this a scandal compared to some of the other things that have been going on in college football. But uh, what really pushed this uh, up a notch was Jim Tressel, uh, a.k.a. the senator, uh, he lied in an investigation, got caught, <laughs> gets suspended, uh, leads to his resignation. Um, so all good, right? Luke Fickle, he uh, takes care of the team for a year. And then it's like, okay, Ohio State, take a step back. We had a scandal. What do we do? Who is the person that we want to put in to right the ship? Who is the person that we want to run a nice, clean program? Let's let's get Urban Meyer. <laughs> and so Urban Meyer comes in, and of course, Urban Meyer. There haven't been any controversies that I can think of in, in the last uh, in the last ten years. <laughs> None whatsoever. Clean clean slate, Urban Meyer. Um, just don't let him go out at a at a Jacksonville bar. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right, so LSU, next on the list. Coach O, maybe the greatest season ever. What do they do to celebrate the national championship? They get Odell Beckham Jr., all-time great Cleveland Browns wide receiver, right, Mike? Not, uh, not, so a, Cleveland shows, Browns, not a Cleveland Browns wide receiver as of uh, as of this podcast. So Exactly. So Odell shows up to the national championship game and is straight up handing out wads of cash to players on national television. That's a big no-no. So what happens? Does LSU get fined? Wins vacated? Nope. Scholarship bans? Nope. Probation? Nope. Slap on the wrist. OBJ, he's just not allowed back on campus for two years. Um, that That's the only punishment that, that came down imposed by uh, LSU. And, and, of course, NCA looks the other way. I remember when that happened, there were, if you were to go on, like, the internet forums, college football forums, LSU fans would swear to you that it was not real money. They would say it was monopoly money. It was a monopoly. No, they're like, no, it's Odell. He has his own money. He has his own money printed that he uses for this. And if you zoom in, it's that clearly was not the case. Um, obviously, it didn't even matter. Really, nothing ever came from it. Odell just uh, couldn't really come to campus for two years. So, um, yeah, not not the worst thing in the world. Uh, another, this one's a little funny. Uh, Laramie Tunzel. This is it's hard to believe this was actually five years ago. It seemed like it was more recent than that. But he was an early first round pick. In the 2016 draft out of Ole Miss, uh, he was straight up asked at a press conference shortly after his selection if he ever received money. The reporter was like, hey, Laramie, you ever gotten money in college before? And Laramie straight up didn't even blink. He's like, yeah, yeah, I got paid in college. And then after that happened, needless to say, the uh, uh, some, of, some, of, some of the media uh, staff for his team just came out and immediately escorted him out before he could say anything else. Uh, another interesting 
Uh, side note here is shortly before this happened, during his draft, this was literally minutes before he was drafted, there was a video of him that came out. Uh, it came out on social media of him just wearing a gas mask. It was like a full like quarantine like gas mask that you'd see like as if you were like in uh, biochemical warfare. Uh, but it was a it was a, a gas mask bong and uh, it came out right before he was drafted. Some people think it may have made him slide a couple spots, but um, yeah. So needless to say, it was a very interesting couple weeks for Laramie between between the gas mask and then just straight up uh, no hesitation uh, telling reporters that you received money at Ole Miss. I feel like of all these players and, and coaches in in this top twelve, that that Laramie Tunsil, he's the guy I'd want as a guest on the podcast. I think that'd be a really fun conversation. He has to wear the so, gas mask. That's the one rule. If he comes yeah, on, he has he's to wear, the, wear gas the gas mask. mask bong for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. So to round out the list, number twelve, the last of the four horsemen. Who haven't we offended yet? Let's go with our good friends, the Tennessee Volunteers. Tennessee with head coach Jeremy Prude at the helm. They buy Big Macs from McDonald's, they take out the burgers, they insert $100 bills, and then they hand the recruits, the high school recruits, their Big Mac lunches uh, with the $100 bills in it on on the recruiting uh, visits. That doesn't go over so well. That definitely violates the meal allowance. That's way worse than the $3.83 pasta violation at Oklahoma. So Tennessee, they're facing all sorts of probations. Jeremy Prude gets fired, major scandal, everyone cracks down, and um, all sorts of great McDonald's memes out there for uh, Tennessee volunteers and, and, and their recruiting strategy. Yeah, my home state, one of the currently one of the all-time great just meme programs, the land of McDonald's bags of cash and butt-chugging fraternities. So <laughs> keep it going, keep it going, Tennessee. We're, we're proud of you. Some, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hear from my friends after this. Once they listen, they're gonna they're gonna text me. They'll be like, "Come on, man, why why do you have to call out Tennessee?" Um, but anyways, this was, I thought this was a pretty fun, uh, not a four horseman, a 12 horseman. Um, we didn't even mention the Louisville escorts. That's, that's a whole another story. We could, uh, we could probably, we could do a whole. This is a football podcast. We'll, we'll, we'll leave, we'll leave Rick Patino for basketball. Rick Patino is like a trove. You know, what was his quote? He was like, no more than, uh, was it no more than like 18 seconds or something like that? I can't remember exactly how long it was. I'm not going to go to people who, who know what that is. They know. Uh, and then, of course, you have the U. The U, you could, I mean, ESPN, they had two 30 for 30s on the U. So we could talk about that all day. Um, but yeah, again, I think there are plenty of others that we could have talked about, but these seem like some good ones to, to focus on, some good fun moments. Generally, the repercussions weren't too severe. I guess for Jim Trestle, in, in his case, they actually weren't very good. But some of these were just kind of funny stories. For sure. So with that, we've, um, we're, we're heading off to Charlottesville for, for the Notre Dame game. Uh, so I guess it's, uh, Gyrish beat Wahoos. One call out. SMU, that was a death penalty. <laughs> Obviously not a funny story for that. But yes. No, not, not, not great for them. Yeah. But, uh, on that note, yeah, Gyrish beat, uh, beat Cavaliers, beat Hoos.